This is Creative to Creative. Together, we deep dive into the creative and production processes of leading creatives, finding out what makes them tick, how they do what they do, and the challenges along the way. This is Creative to Creative, powered by Motion by Design. This episode, we talk to Sam Morton, combining his passions for art and dirt bike riding to create SKDA. 13 years later, his Adelaide-based company has gone from after-hours hobby to a global leader in their space. Sam is involved full-time in the company while struggling a new family and headspace alongside. Welcome, Sam from SKDA. Welcome to Creative to Creative, Sam. Awesome. Um, today, we've got Sam from SKDA, um, and he's going to talk to us a bit about his creative journey so far running a company. So, Sam, you started SKDA over 13 years ago, according to your LinkedIn now. Mm, spot on. Tell us a bit about that journey. Uh, it's a long story, man. It's been an absolutely intense ride. I never, ever thought in my wildest dreams I would ever reach the level within the business that I have absolutely no chance. It blows my mind constantly. How old were you when you came up with the idea? Uh, I was 18, I reckon. Um, yeah, I was 18. I had a, I was, I grew up racing dirt bikes, um, always had a thing for art and design, always really into that side of my life. I used to draw as a kid and, you know, just into it, used to print out pictures of like a silhouette of a helmet and draw graphics on there just within myself, never with any intent other than just enjoying my life. Right. Um, and I was racing bikes, uh, we sell. So nowadays the company is yeah, SKDA, we sell graphics kits for dirt bikes, right? So it's like a it's like a vinyl wrap that someone can install and wrap their dirt bike with, which makes it look different to the way that it was when you first purchased it. So it sort of adds like a um just hold up. Sorry, mate. Thank you. Cheers, yeah. You can leave it there up there. That's cool. Thanks. Sorry, mate. Yeah. So it adds um Yeah, so we sell Graphics kits for dirt bikes, which is essentially like a vinyl wrap that someone would install to their bike to make it look unique or different or crazy or clean or blue or green or whatever, anything other than the original look, right? And that product as a standalone product is something that is not new. It's been around for a long time. Um, And if you own a dirt bike and you have any sort of relation to the sport or you have, you know, you follow it rather than just using it for commuting, then you know what a graphics kit is and most of the time you'll have one. It's something that people use as an, it's like a, um, it's an expressive outlet. Like people will use it to restyle their bike to help give off an impression of how they feel about riding or the styles that they like or whatever. So your link was the design and the bikes combined yep. and you were like, I can find something that yeah, I like in this intentionally, way. but yeah, essentially. Like I had an idea for a kit for my own personal bike that was based off a design I'd seen elsewhere that had some specific adjustments. Um, and rather than, you know, so I just went to a company like mine, wanted to get that done up, explained to them a few times, ended up drawing it up myself on a program and show it to them and having them print it and put it on my bike, which was awesome. Like looked sweet, really, really happy with it. I had no further intentions. Uh, and then I had friends of mine sort of point out, say, look, man, like your bike looks awesome. Could you jump on your computer and design one up for me? So I did that and had it printed out sourced and then it just ran from there. Interesting. So... Mm-hmm. So did you sort of, I guess, feel the calling to this space because you wanted to create something unique for other people or do you think it just sort of naturally evolved and then you just kept going? I don't know. I think that once I'd come across the opportunity, so again, initially zero intention, 
even when some mates asked me, I thought it was cool and a cool way to spend my time, but still no real actual grasp of the situation. But after, you know, a couple of months, I started to gather the fact that I could actually do something with this. And I was in, like, I was 18, man. And I was, you know, flopping between useless jobs. Like I wasn't, I had no path yet of what I wanted to do with my time on this planet, but I knew I wanted to do something cool. I just didn't know what it was. And yeah, like you say, like it was an, a happy mix, right? I was an arty kid, like designing and drawing shit, was enjoying myself on a computer and had this interest in bikes. So it's sort of once I came across the realization that I could do something, I was like, yeah, fuck it, let's go. Like I just grabbed it and ran with it. So um, I think the, the interesting thing from a creative point of view is um, basically what I see your business at is as like the sort of unicorn of creative industries, right? Because what you've got is you've got a completely scalable creative business that's not reliant on service-based needs. So it's not an hour for money type situation. You're selling a product. It can be automated. It can be streamlined to the point where it's, it's way more scalable than, you know, hour for work type situation. Did you intentionally go out with that sort of feel? Like it seems very rare that, you know, at the age of 18, you had this, crazy idea and it just it all sort of evolved from there with the same core message and the same trajectory or like how many what sort of deviations Mm. have you made over the past 13 years so nothing super uh, yeah i've got a point to make that speaks to that so nothing super broad like the concept which is you know essentially what we're doing is designing the livery for dirt bikes and motorcycles right and obviously the vehicle for that is selling them as a sticker kit some in their bikes that as a concept as a product as a business you know concept was the same from word go and it hasn't changed at all i still see ourselves as the designing the livery so if at some stage technology changes it's no longer stickers it's a different application which is realistic then i'll follow that i don't care about stickers i care about the design side of it but the big shift that made it scalable so when we started which was yeah a long time ago um there was no one really in our space again plenty of companies doing what we're doing but there wasn't many in our space that were running with this scalable business model in the fact that usually what would happen back then was you would get a customer hit you up with a specific idea and you would design something from scratch for that customer sell it to them including the design service at the time that it came with it as a product with a price tag and then save that file put it away and next customer you start from scratch again right which was super super time intensive and very like not scalable because it's very difficult to find as we spoke about earlier it's very difficult to find designers that can design bikes so if you want to sell ten thousand kits a day you need the ability you need enough designers that are good to create ten thousand kits a day which is mental right just doesn't work so we then you know came up with the concept again it existed i didn't i didn't pioneer this thought but it was at the sort of time where it became quite realistic and and obvious in some forms that what you could do instead is have like a semi-custom range, right? So instead of it being from scratch every time, you have a range that's default set out. You know, you can, you've got a KDM and it's this model, for example, then we will offer you these 50 different designs. And there's one that's really black and one that's really abstract and one that's arty and da 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 da. You pick your favorite one and then you customize that by just changing your name, number, and some logos and colors or whatever. And of course, what that does is you can have some extremely skilled product designers creating the 50 designs, but then to customize them and adjust them is not hard. You know, as you said, we've automated most of it now. There's a couple of little things that are still done manually, but what that means is instead of one design being sold once and then saved and put away, these designs, we sell them thousands and thousands of times each. Mm. And we can have a product designer that creates a hundred new designs over a year. 
spending four days on each design rather than a set period that needs ROI and sell it a trillion times. And then the business can be scaled. I think it's absolutely no limit. You can sell a trillion a day or five a day. It doesn't matter, right? The investment will get recouped from the design time and the time spent on each job is really little. So we ran, excuse me, we ran with that theory um, and about the time we did so and dirt everyone else. Like it was quite obvious. You know, every, all the competitors, they, again, I don't claim that they followed us. It was just something that we all sort of came across the same theory at the same time mm-hmm. due to the world of technology and online shopping that we were in. Yeah. Um, and everyone sort of adapted to that. And now that is very much the normal. Like we still sell the one-off custom stuff, but it makes up not even 1% of our sales. Like it is all semi-custom, you know, choose off the website, buy it, move it on. And that makes it, yeah, infinitely scalable. So where's the sweet spot for you, like coming from that initial thirst to want to have that unique item and then mm. scaling into a essentially a mass media production for these designs? Obviously, the you know, you can apply you know, different numbers, names, and some slight tweaks and stuff. But do you still get your, I guess, your biggest kicks out of doing those once-off designs for, you know, rock star writers and stuff like that? Or That's a wicked question. I've never been asked that before. I like that. Um, yeah, I understand that. Like, I don't like the fact our company motto is and always has, has been or tagline is originality is everything, which speaks to me. Like, I'm all about that, right? Like, yeah, you know, be unique. Don't be the same as another person. And again, you're right. The business model has sort of caused that to be a little bit less accurate right like it's you know our popular most popular designs are sold hundreds of times so it's it's not quite the same however i i I think that within my own mind that is trumped by the fact that then my most awesome work my favorite work my best work is now available to multiple people and purchased by multiple people and ran with pride by multiple people around the globe rather than just once and I feel like that gives me more personal satisfaction, professional satisfaction, than being one unique that's going to seem by the 45 people that the guy walks past. Yeah. You know? You're like the Banksy of, uh, of motorbike stickers <laughs> or motorbike signage. What's the more broad term here for it? I don't know. I don't as, like any of those terms. As you say, the sticker might evolve into the LED yeah. screens or something yeah. later yeah. on. I'm all about it. Yeah. I, we Motorcycle customization. We rebranded ourselves at the start of the year very slightly from SKDA Moto Graphics and Seat Covers. We changed it to Moto, sorry, SKDA Moto Creative because I see that as what we're doing. Like we yeah. are designing the livery of the bike, the style of the bike. That's what we're doing. That's what we're proud about. That's what we want to run behind, not the sticker side of it. That's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just the product. Stickers are stickers. Yeah. yeah. So on the the idea of, I mean, you've got a team of creatives who are helping you do these unique things and, and obviously, you know, helping the business scale. Mm. How do you keep, I guess, the, the, the team, the creative team, I guess, motivated and how do you keep them engaged and enjoying the work? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's tricky, man. People management is so tricky, isn't it? I mean, it's never going to be a simple thing to manage. Um, I think internally we have a pretty good, like work ethic within the whole team. Like everybody works quite hard. Therefore, there's like an unspoken pressure almost for everyone to deal with life the same way, like deal with the work the same way. Like everyone's pushing hard. Everyone's working as hard as they can. Everyone's trying to get good results. And if that is the consensus in the room, then new people or different people with different perspective can't help but either fit in or get out. There's no other option because it's quite obvious if someone's dragging the chain, everyone like you can just feel it, you know, you can just see it in the room. So that's good. Like it's nice that it's built that way. Do you think the culture stems from you in that regard? I hope so. And I think that like I try and keep myself extremely approachable to everybody 
um, you know, I don't want to hear about why you can't come to the meeting tomorrow. Like obviously there's area managers deal with simple stuff, but I try and make sure that I, you know, speak to people on a very human level and ask them how they are and how's their cat and, you know, like stuff like that to sort of keep it open. And what that then does is it helps them have the ability to constantly see my own perspective on the business and, and realize that, you know, I've got this ridiculous passion and drive what I'm doing and they feed off that and want to be a part of that. Cause it's a attractive thing to be involved with. You know? How, um, how engaging are you in terms of whether it's finances and business sort of trajectory and, and I guess performance review sort of stuff are you with your creative team? Yep. Yep. And um, do you sort of have like open meetings and discuss, I guess, business sort of, you know, business as a whole, um, I guess not necessarily KPIs, but like sort of forecasts and stuff like that, where you guys are heading as a company, like how much of that as a creative team do they sort of all take part of? Like, mm. We've got this, like everyone's completely aware of our goal of becoming the, you know, undeniably best, right? Which obviously not biggest, best, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to become broadly known as the best, you need to be quite big so that you're seen, like the brand awareness is there. But, you know, that is our goal and everybody is completely aware of that all the time. So there's never a, you know, concern of like, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? Like that's unspoken. However, yes, we do still set, you know, realistic strategies and update people on these things. I recently started doing a um, uh, an email, which I named letter from the CEO, and I send that out. Oh, it's not properly, you know, periodic yet, but I've sent, you know, one one a month so far this in the last sort of three or four months, which is just sort of a bit of a top-down view on things from my perspective. Like I th- add things in there about updates, about specific models that people need to be aware of, you know, adjustments between the company's trajectory or projections for next year and, you know, new equipment we've got on board or new people we've hired and what's cool about them, et cetera. Like try and give them a really personal perspective on things. Um and then outside of that, like you said, I just try and keep the door open. I try and keep really, you know, really vocal and let people know what's going on and see where I'm coming from. Um, it's not scripted too much more serious than that at this stage, but that seems to be enough to have everyone feel like there's some level of involved. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, I guess like, you know, you've got all these creative tools around you. Like obviously you're very time poor these days. Have you thought about using, you know, the tools and tool sets for like for evil for, for your own projects, sort of like bringing back some of your core creativeness back into the, you know, your workplace somehow, whether it's, you know, printing some crazy stuff for other, I guess, you know, product expansion into different areas and stuff like. Mm. Yeah, I've, it's been thrown at me many times uh, and I have so far ensured that I don't diversify product wise or industry wise, like, because I think that, I think the reason that the company has seen the level of success that it has is because of my own personal passion, interest and devotion to what I'm doing. And that would not be the same if I was doing anything else. So I obviously enjoy designing and that can be applied elsewhere that I'll still enjoy. And I enjoy business and I could apply that elsewhere, but I just, yeah, I don't think that, you know, in an alternate universe, I didn't land on this. Although I think those skill sets are still relevant and could be utilized, I don't think the level of devotion would have been applied to something else. Therefore, I've sort of intentionally not. Like we've tried other things. I did, you know, I does, we did a goggle range at some point. I tried to launch a brand doing that. And we did, you know, I've dabbled in some stickers into some alternate sort of worlds. But like 
I just don't put in the same level of commitment and I don't think I will to anything. So I'm at the point now that I'm completely aware of that now. I'm not, you know, hiding from that fact. So I'm just sort of cutting the ass out. Like, nah, this is it. This is what I'm focused on. And I don't think I'll do this forever. Like I'd like to think that at some point I'll change and do something different with my life. I like the theory of doing more than one thing with your time on the planet. But whilst I'm committed to this, I want to stay committed to this. Yeah, okay. And I've got, you know, growth and money and good things happening as a result of this. So I don't see the need to diversify. Yeah. So you've you've niched to what I would consider and probably many would consider to be a very small niche, especially in Australia. And I understand that you've obviously, you sell most of your stuff, I think, in America these days, don't you? Like, was oh. your, you've obviously got this great idea. Did you find out very quickly that this niche that you've formed was potentially way bigger interstate or overseas and and how like how did you go about sort of finding that niche initially Mm. yeah obviously landing on this product specifically as i said was unconscious sort of happened unintentionally but i also and and even from the word go right like very initially i never realized or i never never even bothered to think about the fact that i could take over the world like that wasn't the initial thought um it was just it is now though have some fun (laughs) yeah well yeah it got to a point where that became a uh, still unrealistic but like a comprehensible goal, right? Like I was sort of like, you know, what do I want to do? I want to be the best in the world. And I sort of knew that was kind of bullshit at the time, but I was like, I don't care. Like that's going to be my aim and I'm just going to go for it. And if I never get it, that's fine, but that's what I'm going to focus on. Um, and I think that like the industry that we're in, like dirt bike, dirt bike racing, is – undeniably massive in North America. Like, it's crazy. Like, I saw some stats recently. It's something like 85% of Honda's knobby sales, so, like, dirt bikes and ATVs and stuff like that, is to North America. 85% of their entire sales. So that means the whole rest of the world adds up 15%. Wow. It's just mental. So, as a, you know, obviously, that's just an example, but it sort of points out the size of the market over there. And if you're in the industry, you know that, like, unconsciously. Everyone watches the racing there. The, the pro riders are all over there. Like, it's just undeniable. So... Um, if you want to be the best, it's not questionable. You have to go and attack the US. It's just there's no other way around it. Do you think that's the same for all creative industries or just potentially yours and your niche? don't know. As I'm, I haven't even thought about it. You know, I don't think about other industries, as I've said. It's devotion. I've got one line, man. I don't give a shit about it. I've got the horse blinkers on. Exactly. I, I, think, it's, I think it's an interesting, um, interesting concept because I think like in our industries, like creative industries, People go on quite regularly about niching, finding your niche, niche right down, specializing one thing. And I guess overall I've been a little bit negative towards that because I think, you know, particularly in smaller sort of populated areas, I think it's important to, to branch out into other, other sort of industries but also provide somewhat more of a, a holistic solution potentially yeah. for, for someone. So like someone, you know, going back to your example, like someone might come to you for some some designs to make their motorcycle more u- unique but at the same time assuming that if they want to be more unique they might need some things done to the helmet they might want some cool things on the visor some awesome gloves i don't know some hot pink gloves why not but you know what i mean like it's all part of that same mm. group and i think i think you know in some creative industries like you know that i guess the the general advice out there is just do one thing do it really well mm. but you know i think if you do that, you really need to expand your reach to be able to access, you know, you, you, you could be, I mean, 15% of the rest of the world buying those bikes, right? And how many of them are going to be in Australia? Like two? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like completely untapped potential. But I think, you know, you're at the stage where you are able to reach those people because you're marketing, you've got those sort of concept, concepts in place. But for people 
starting out, I think, you know, it, it could be potentially difficult to find that niche, you know, people mm. who like what you do and actually willing to pay the price that it's worth and that mm. type of thing. Yeah, I hear you 100%. Like I completely validate and understand your perspective, but I just think that, you know, speaking to only my own experiences, I do think that the reason that I managed to reach the level of success I have within the field that I'm in was because of that 100% devotion to a single cause. Um, and the quality of products. I mean, you pointed out just before how my sticker here is probably one or two mil out of uh, out of square, right? I mean, that's because of that's a user experience. Same, it's the same thing, though. Like it's <laughs> it's it's devotion to becoming the best. Therefore, not accepting anything less than one hundred percent on everything. Totally. And that comes out like I think I get asked all the time now. You know, what's your competitive advantage? Because we're some stupid company from freaking Adelaide when no one knows who that is that managed to crush this game we're in globally, right? And people are like, how did you do that? Like you're not doing anything different to anyone else. And I think like I agree. We have we have a good quality product and we have a good service and we blah, 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 blah. We have nice designs, but that's all bullshit. Like everyone uses the same quality product. Everyone has some level of customer service. Everyone can create cool shit. So that's actually all crap. So what is actually our competitive advantage? I think it's that I think it's the result of my level of obsession and determination or devotion whatever you want to call it that leads to little things like me picking up on your one mil off sticker and me not accepting something going out that's not 100 percent and you know i will work tirelessly to get something done no questions asked because that's the level that i expect from myself and that then flows into every other aspect of the business right so like a design that goes out if it's one little thing is one mil off. It cannot be even seen by a human. Don't you dare let that out the door, right? So, and the same with product quality and deliverables and, you know, everything we do has got that level of like obsession and, you know, whatever weirdness to it. Um, that means that our product is at a different level. What we do, everything we do is at a different level to everybody else because of exactly that point. So how is that, I guess, mentality of perfection, I guess, spread across the rest of your team how do you how do you share that obviously vision in a way where your team members are 100 percent on board mm. and probably even capable i mean at the end of the day some people won't be capable of spotting you know that one mill out type situation but mm. have you looked at ways of standardizing or have you i mean are you employing for that is that is that your sort of so is yeah the reality is in the world we're living in you can get around a lot of things that can be manipulated by a human perspective by eliminating the human element, right? So create systems that do things via computer, via maths, via macros, via automations that aren't human. That then eliminates some of that. So obviously product design, original product design is difficult. So I've got some really, really good product designers and whenever we do something, it every single time gets eyed through me. Um, and again, because of our business model, that's not that frequent. We do a new design I don't know, once or twice a week, something will come through yeah. and I'll send it through to me first and I will destroy it and pick it apart and tell them why they're shit <laughs> and they'll fix stuff and then we'll get it. And again, you know, these designers now are very well-skilled people and they are quickly able to pick up on what the things I'm picking on and adjust it accordingly. So now it's pretty good most of the time. But then past that point, past product development, everything else is just completely systemized and locked. Mm. Like you can't get something wrong. We've eliminated the ability for that. So now it means that I can hire anyone off the street who has a good attitude and a good work ethic and I can make them useful in any part of my business, which again makes it more scalable because there's no, we've got systems in place. You can't get stuff wrong. It's not physically possible. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. 
So Sam, you've had a a kid eighteen. You said eighteen months ago now. Mm. Like, how are you um, managing your work life balance around uh, yeah. family life as well? Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. I think that I I I actually yeah. I, in comparison to a lot of business owners, I've actually got it very very well organized. I think like on paper, on paper, <laughs> it's quite a good setup. Like I work, so I work four days a week. I work ten hours a day. Uh, that's it. Don't ever touch weekends. I'm at home all day on Thursdays to be there with my daughter and help my wife out, which means pretty good. Like, you know, again, compared to most business owners, that's that's unreal, right? And yeah. I've never – I've definitely had years where I worked more hours than I'd like to admit. But nowadays it's pretty well sorted. The issue that I still have, though, is that not being physically present at work doesn't mean that you're not mentally present at work. Yeah. Like I do find it quite difficult to stay on task mentally. Like, you know, if I'm at home with my family – be at home with your family inside your head. Mm. Don't get distracted. Mm. Don't run off in another direction inside your head. Stay on task. And I find that quite difficult. Um, I've actually s- sought some help for that. Like I've spoken to a few psychologists about it and try and help myself organize that. Because it's not – I actually desire to not be that way. Like I want to be able to switch on and off and mm. focus on different things. So it's something I'm actively working at trying to improve. Um, Do you have systems in place to help you – Sort of segregate the two, whether it's, you know, writing down notes so that, you know, they come out of your head. Once they're there, you write them down, they're gone type mm. situation. Like what sort of yeah. what sort of things are you putting in place to, to help with that separation? Mm, sure. Yeah, we've got that. Like I've got Monday boards that I use that are quite yeah. useful. You know, that helps for, you know, my own project management. I don't have to try and remember shit. Mm. And if something pops up that's really important, I'll email myself and deal with it later. I get that. It's more just like, again, I, I genuinely do feel that there is a level of, the obsession that I have with business that's unhealthy. Like it's not good. I do believe that it actually isn't good. Um, it has led to a fruitful and, and awesome situation from a business perspective, but as far as life goes, it's not healthy a lot of the time. Um, so it is something that I'm always trying to work on and improve. And I think that I just want to, yeah, you know, I'm trying, I downloaded Opal a few weeks ago, which is like an app that locks your phone down. Yeah, so right. like it, And it's sort of, Apple's got their own one, called something um that can lock apps after a certain time and they're really easy to override this one's a little bit harder to override because that's just a distraction thing for me like it's just you know i'll pick up my phone and look at this which will lead to this and then i'll remember this and then i'll do this (laughs) and i'll just get lost in my little chain inside my head yeah so all it does is it catches you you know you pick up your phone and try and open something and it goes well it's locked and to unlock it you gotta wait 10 seconds and put in a passcode and that's just enough I'm finding to sort of help me go, hey, dickhead, stop and put it down, Mm. which is helpful. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's helpful. I'm just trying to make sure I constantly look for these ways to sort of help myself separate things with a harder, you know, lock. Mm. Yeah, I can understand that. I think I haven't had too much issue separating work and and home life in general because I guess I probably work too much anyway, but I think I enjoy it so much I just don't care. Yeah. And I'm probably because I don't have the kid at home, I'm like, oh, you know, I can sort of do that now, I think. Um, I found personally, for instance, if once, once things are in my head, they just don't go. So I've just got to write them down. And once they're on paper, I can forget about them, whether they're in a note or an email to yourself type situation yeah. or on a Trello board or something. But once it's out, it's out and it's gone. And then no. sort of train myself that once it's there I don't need to remember anymore and I think that moment you don't have to remember things is quite a relaxing feeling like for a while there it used to be a whiteboard in our office and that was the best solution for me but um and we went digital and it took a bit of a progression to go digital but now we're there it's fantastic you gotta you just gotta unload all the thoughts out of your head and worry about it later right <laughs> yeah and I think like even my psychologist has pointed out that I've sort of trained myself to be this way 
somewhat intentionally, right? And the result is successful business, happy days. But now I'm at a point where I want to undo some of that. And it's, you know, it's a habit mm. uh, that I've built up, again, somewhat intentionally over 13 years. It's not something I can just kick. So how are you handing across some of your roles and duties, especially as you scale now? Like I know you've mentioned you're hiring a few more individuals to sort of take on some duties as you as you grow. Like how are you carving off some of these responsibilities in a progression type system or are you just like, cool, you're dealing with finance, you're dealing with HR, you're dealing with sales, here you go. Mm. I guess, yeah, I mean, I was at a point doing everything, right, as every business owner was. So I just, uh, you know, seemingly obviously knew where either the business required more skill set than I had to take advantage of opportunities or whatever or the other way around it was something that I wasn't interested in doing or you know hadn't the time or whatever and excuse me I slowly systemized so that yeah you know I, I obtained people that were either more skilled than me in certain areas or were dealing with things that better than I could or whatever and just slowly palmed things over and I've got it now that I sort of I try and I try, I, I've got the business, in fact, to a point where I'm not required. So I'm 0% required for operations and I'm also not required for, you know, anything the business, in fact. Like the business could run completely successfully without me for six months, no question, easily. Wow. Which is awesome, intentional, 100% intentional because yeah. that gives me two options. One, it means that I can not be at work if I don't want to be with not even bat an eyelid. But at the same time, it gives me the ability to then apply myself to specifically what I want to apply myself to within the business. Yeah, I know I still have a lot of value and I can do a lot of awesome things in the company, obviously. But at the same time, I have complete freedom with what and how I do that, mm. which means that, yeah, you know, four days a week is realistic if I want it to be. And at the same time, I can choose to, you know, design something crazy if I feel like it, which is a nice. Um, I don't, my level of obsession means I don't ever let it really be completely out of my hands because I grab things because I want to, but I, I don't, I'm in the position now where I no longer need to. Yeah. It's an interesting position to be in. I think, uh, I think a lot of agency owners would, would love to be in that position to be honest, but I think they'd probably still feel the same as what you are. Like, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everything that happens in our team is it's basically, it's up to a scratch. It's up to a standard, right? Where you need to guarantee that standard because that's the standard that, you know, you're only as good as your last job or your last project or mm. your last design. So you need you need to continually, I guess, improve on, on what you guys are doing. And, and if you're a part of that, it's good to still be a part of that, I guess. Mm. I think, again, it's just systems for us, though, man. Like there's just so much. It's unreal. I'm so proud of, in fact, like the level of automation and stuff we've got. It's unreal. So are there any sort of automation tools you'd suggest that could work in other sort of creative industries? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I think that honestly, a skill set that I now have due to nothing other than experience, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing anymore, is I would go and hit up industries like ours, right? Like like creative or, you know, very digital style companies mm. and walk in there and consult and be like, hey, you know, you, you know, you don't need to do this. And you know that we can do this this way and just help them automate things. Because again, the level that we've got it to, I feel is unreal. So what sort of automation systems are you most proud of? Uh so I just feel at the end of the day, if you're if there's any task that you repeat and the entirety of that task happens within a computing system, you don't need to be doing it. You can automate it. And it's like it's just 
the levels that that leads to is unreal because you start with some very obvious face value stuff, right? Like, I don't know, you know, replying to an email or sending someone a notification or whatever. But then once you do that, you can't help but realize the next thing that's available as a result, Mm. which then sometimes means you actually undo an automation and create something that's even more in depth. But like, it's literally infinite. Um, And I think that although what we do, because it's design based is, is, you know, has some specific automations that aren't applicable everywhere. At the end of the day, we're still e-commerce. We still pack, ship, produce, you know, update customers, blah, 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 which is applicable to ridiculous amounts of companies around the place. Mm. And the stuff you can do is just unreal. There's Mm. so much you can do. It's great, Mm. which makes it not only, and, you know, the benefits that are, one, it's time efficient. Two, it's accurate, way more accurate than a human will ever be, um, which has so many upsides. Uh, And it's, cost effective too like it's you know so you can do things fast you can do them cheaper you can do them better you can do them without risk like it's just unreal Mm. um we've done uh so in the last i started in the automation world like i started thinking about that and developing things about 18 months ago i reckon Mm -hmm. it might have been the year before i think it was i think it was about that was about 18 months ago or two years ago and i've now mathed out that we've eliminated about $320,000 a year worth of wages wow. with automations alone wow. you know and for the scale of the company that we're in we're a huge company right that's mm. massive yeah. huge yeah. Yeah. um and that's a scalable number like the more we work we do the more that number goes up and we are still i have a guy now that literally spends 20 hours a week on it yeah every week yeah. all he does yeah. because all he does is work on the next automation find the new thing and talk to the team and da, 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 da. And the level we can get it to is just unbelievable so you're using any software that you'd recommend other people look at for yeah yeah so there's there's different there's two different main areas of automation that we focus on there is automation within the design software we use mm-hmm. and then there's automation between all of our other systems so you know our tech stack is all attached mm-hmm. Um, the most user-friendly version is called there's a um, software called Zapier. Yep, yeah, yep, which yeah. is or awesome. If then then that type situation. Yeah, and then yeah. yeah, correct. If then then that exactly right. And then yeah. there's you know there's another level of that now called Make, which is a little bit more in depth, but it's a bit cheaper and etc. Yeah. Yeah. Zapier is a good one to start with. And basically, anyone with any sort of digital company, I seriously, seriously recommend to you that you jump onto that software, look at your tech stack, work out what within your tech stack you can connect to that, which mm. is most things you'll be surprised. Yep. And then think about what do you, yeah, if, then, what, you know, et cetera. What do you do after this happens? If a customer, you know, when an order gets emailed to a customer, what is your next step? You notify the customer. Okay, cool. Then what's the next step? You then move the order forward to the next process and then we put it into the packaging run and then we get the mm. label printed out, et cetera. Like, you do not need to do a single step of that. You can automate the entire thing. And it's sort of, you know, I understand it seems sort of quite straightforward and obvious, but the amount of difference it can make to a company is un- unbelievable. Um, and I'm a big believer in that. And I try and help people, you know, pay attention and realize it. Yeah. We use MailChimp to automate our customer journeys, but I'm assuming it's a little bit more different for you. But we use Zapier for automating uh, social media leads to come through to our emails and, and obviously go into MailChimp and stuff. But yep. um, that's the only thing we use it for. We haven't really reached beyond that, mate. Yeah, yeah it's unreal, man. It's changed a lot. <laughs> There's just so much you can do. We run a lot of can, our... Can you automate our anim- animation projects? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. AI might, might soon. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, there's just so much to be paid attention to in that space and it can gain so much. Like the investment of time that you put into that thing will 10x itself without even trying. Mm. It's worth looking at mm. um, because there's just so much that you do that you realize you don't actually need to be doing. We've, we've used AI once on a project and um, 
Yeah, actually, it was a good result. So basically, it's this tool where you can upload video, and then if you paint over a few frames, like in any style you want, it could be outline, it could be what we did watercolor, and then it fills in the rest of the yeah, frames nice. for you. So it yeah. did basically converted a video into watercolor, which was amazing. But mm. um, something happened recently online where they were sharing this new AI software and how it animates a walk cycle. And <laughs> there's this video online as their advert. They upload this weird stick figure thing that looks horrendous into this tool and then it walks along so jankly and it's it's made it sound like a really heroic animation. Like, look, you don't need to animate anymore. It's like thing and we're all just looking at it going, oh, my God, a client would not be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, though, it's 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 a peer into the opportunities that are coming to us. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, that's yeah. the thing that I find really interesting about for us, I think it'll open up the opportunity to be more creative in certain areas because we, you know, obviously make things a lot easier in others. So maybe less keyframes, less, you know, frame by frame type of stuff and mm -hmm. we can spend some time on the real meaningful stuff. So. Yeah, exactly. So I have our fast five here, mate. There's, uh, there's five very fast questions. They don't have to be fast, but we just call it fast five. Sure. Um, so first one, do you prefer to work in a team or alone? Alone. Doesn't surprise me after what you've said. <laughs> if you weren't in the creative industry, what would you do? I don't know. I think I'd be in the creative industry. No, you can't say that. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm. I think that I have very good problem-solving skills. Therefore, I would find a way to utilize that, whether it be consulting or you know, who knows. I, I, I enjoy that side of things. So I think yeah. I'm good at it. You kind of said before you'd be a business consultant, so or an automation consultant. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. sounds fancy. It's just problem solving. I think that's the broad way to look at it. I feel like I'm good at that. And I feel like I could apply that elsewhere. Okay, get cool. kicks out of it. You wouldn't be a professional motorbike rider. Oh, no, I'm not good enough. <laughs> the risk risk worth reward is not good enough as well. <laughs> if you're a type of cheese, what cheese would you be? I really like uh, pecor pecorino. But if you were a type of cheese, what cheese would you be? So you'd eat. A yeah. That because you want to be you want to be pecorino because you like and because I'm pretty good I'd be the cheese that I want to be in it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go. With. Would you strive to be a better cheese? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm happy with that I'm sticking with that. Pecorino is good. Yeah, I like pecorino. Are you organised or messy? I'm very organised, which is polarising my household because my wife is absolutely not. <laughs> but I like to think as long as one of you are, then it's all good, right? <laughs> and this could go back a while, mate. But what is your favourite font? You see, this changes constantly, obviously, because that's what we do in our worlds, right? Even as my design style changes, it changes. At the moment, I really like Averta, mm -hmm. which is like a really clean professional font. really mm -hmm. like that one. Mm -hmm. But again, ask me in a month and it'll change. What was it before? I've had someone say impact once, which was... That's, I would have kicked them out of the building. Yeah, it was very impactful. Yes. Yeah, that's not good at all. <laughs> yeah, I liked... Uh, there's one called... I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like Eleron or something, A-I-L-E-R-O-N, mm -hmm. which is something that Nike uses in a lot of their ads. Yeah. Um, yeah, the clean things get me at the moment. So, you know, when you rocked up today, I noticed you had your your, skin, your SKDA brand next to your Nike brand. So um, are you just going to the Nike shop and just pretending like they, <laughs> like what's going on here? No. Is that just the, the shirt you wanted and you stuck your logo yeah, on it? Literally, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Pra it, practically, if, they're good shirts, but I'm also just a huge, massive follower of that brand. I think everything they do from a branding perspective and a marketing perspective is spot on. And I think a lot of what we do, we model ourselves around the same thing, like very clean and professional, very high end, but still fun. You know, I think we sort of, I model my branding around the same things that they're doing. Mm. So I just, you know, utilize it however I can. I'd be surprised if everything I wear is not Nike 90% of the time. 
he's looking for a sponsorship, guys. So yeah. um, if, no, I don't if, need one. If, if anyone, pay, I'm good. <laughs> it's not a problem. Invest in these things is not an issue. All right, last question, mate. If uh, what advice would you give to your past self or someone starting out in the creative industry? That's two separate questions. No. You give your, you'd give yourself separate advice to someone else? Surely you'd say Yeah, that. because I'd be more human in mine. Um, we'll be more human in, in – wouldn't you give someone a humanistic answer? Yeah, but or, someone that asked me would be seeking for business-related advice. It's not business-related advice, is yeah, it? Cool. Um, we had. cool. I think we had, it's really important, as bullshit and cliche as it is, I think it's really important to make sure that we enjoy the journey of things, right? Like I know how crap that is because it's repeated, but in, it's very relevant to my situation. Like I've I've constantly had this, again, you know, weird obsession, passion, determination or whatever to reach a goal, but that often then shades my ability to appreciate the position that I'm in along the journey. And at the end of the day, you know, when I get to the end of the road, then what have you got? Nothing really. So you have to enjoy the journey along the way. Um, and I think, again, yeah, for me, it's just really relevant. Like I often get so caught up in and individual situation or an individual problem or something that I'm trying to achieve that I get to stop and like be stoked for everything that I've got. I often have on my phone, like I make myself screen savers with reminders on them and I often have something in there very close to that. Like just stop and look, you know, be thankful for where you are, et cetera. Because I don't think, excuse me, excuse me. Although I feel like I do do that somewhat, I would like to do more of it because I think that the situation that I'm sitting is extremely fortunate and it's extremely awesome in every way. And again, I would literally do what I'm doing for no money and be broke because if I could, like just doing what I do is so much fun and I love it so much that I need to make sure that I appreciate that and the position I'm in and how far I've come, et cetera. So is that the advice to yourself or someone else? (laughs) Yeah, probably both, honestly. Like that would definitely be my advice to myself, no question. Um, I think that the only other advice I'd like to share broader, which would be more to other people, that I feel like I've proven to myself is that like if you if you commit to something 100% which is not like that's that's I feel like a lot of people can't actually even fathom what 100% means right but if you commit 100% you'll be mind blown of what you can achieve like it's actually out of control but I just don't think that most people can physically comprehend what that means 100%. That means you've got to put it above everything else entirely, um, above your relationship, above your own, you know, hobbies, above your family, above everything. And I don't, I'm not suggesting that that's the right thing to do because I don't think that it always is. However, if you do, you will find that you'll succeed in what you're chasing. Mm. Um, And again, I think that that is one of the main attributions to the success I've had. And I don't necessarily think that that was always the right thing to do in every situation. There are situations where I put the business above something else that I don't think was the right thing to do. However, the result has been the situation that I'm sitting in. Mm, interesting. Very interesting insight. I think you can go through periods of 100% for sure. But, uh, you know, particularly when you've got a partner or family and stuff, you've got you've to fluctuate with the – you've got to take wins where you yeah. can and take the time when you can. And Yeah, I would recommend that. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend necessarily the path that I've taken. I think that there'd be a healthier way to do it. You don't need to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of control, man. It was good advice. Really good advice. Is there anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything else you feel like you haven't had it covered or you want to? You've covered a lot. 
I tend to do that. Oh, I tend well. to talk a lot. You've done really well. I'm quite fast. You've done really well. Um, You've given it your 100%. Yeah, I tend to do that as well. I do think that, like, something that I... I think that although I am seemingly... I've seemingly done a good job of what I'm doing. I completely acknowledge the fact that life is so much broader than that, right? Which also sort of speaks to my last point. Like 100% commitment, yeah, we'll get you what you want if that's what you're chasing. And that's great, you know, getting a good result. But I think that as I'm sort of becoming older and more, you know, well experienced, et cetera, I sort of realized how much importance there is to other things. Like what we're talking about here, obviously creative industries, and there's obviously a big part of that that is business related. But I think that it's really, really important to make sure that you value outside of that. Like business is very, can very easily consume you as a human, which is something that I'm absolutely guilty of, no question, right? And I don't see that as always have been a good thing. Um, but it's important to make sure that you're valuing life outside of that um, and putting the right amount of thought and passion and, and, and you know, energy into it. I think that even, and if you take that approach, again, recently I've made sure I take that approach to more things like um, even the way I handle my staff like I completely acknowledge the fact that this business as a job won't actually be the most beneficial thing for everybody and even if they are the best employee and they do the best job if it's not the right thing for them to enjoy their time on this planet that we have then they shouldn't be doing it and I would tell them that they shouldn't be doing it or help them understand that from my perspective because I think that you know not enough people properly value the time that you have in this world that we're living in and they put too much emphasis on making money or being successful or whatever and all that's that's all great and i also understand it's easy for me to say because i'm in a position where i've done some cool stuff <laughs> i i think that it's important for people to properly value that mm. and i think that yes you know 100 commitment might get you a successful business but that might not actually be what you want and the trade-offs you have to make to get there as you sort of just pointed out right are not always actually worth it Right, like I might, you might be slightly more successful if you do commit a hundred percent, but that might cost you a relationship, mm. cost you some happiness elsewhere, and that is not a fair trade-off. I think it's important to make sure that people put value to that. Yeah, I think, uh, as I said, I think the the clear separation I think is important, um, splitting the, the the multiple worlds. But I think at the end of the day, if you do what you love, you tend to put in more effort than not, right? And mm. that's I think that's probably the benefit we have in a creative industry is that we have. I guess the choice to do something that we love doing and we're probably doing it because we love it. And then the the stuff comes second, the other stuff comes secondary, right? Like whether it's the money or the the clients or the relationships from that, like all of that secondary to doing some cool shit and, and living the dream. And I think maybe it's potentially harder for us in the creative space to, to separate those two. But I mean, I, I, I hate Instagram and social media, man. Like I know people post all the time, but I actually hate, posting on on social media i'd prefer to just sit there and watch it like mm. i think you know even that for me is that great separation to be like cool this is what i do for work and at home I, I'm, I'm not posting about shit like no one needs to know what i'm doing on the weekend like i'm probably not doing anything you know <laughs> yeah i appreciate that and envy that i think that's impressive um i think that's something that i like to strive to put more effort into like just you know identifying myself as other than mm. just this thing that i've created which i have forced myself to identify as I think the, I mean, realistically, it's, I think part of me is like, well, if you enjoy it, you probably don't, you don't feel like you, it's a chore. I think there are, there are moments where I'm thinking like, you know, back, particularly like last year, like where I'm thinking of some moments where I'm like, oh, do I really want to be doing this anymore? Or I might be burnt out and I'm like, shit, like, why am I doing this? I've forgotten why I'm doing mm -hmm. this. And I think 
you know, potentially having some time, time off or a holiday or just switching off for a while can sort of reset that. But I think if you're enjoying what you're doing, I don't think there's any reason not to do it. Like if you're not damaging, you know, your life or relationships, just keep doing what you're doing if you're loving it. Like I think I'm in a benefit. Um, I, I think I'm in a good position where because my wife runs a business too, we chat business when we get home, we talk about business a lot, we talk about how shit work is or how great work is and I think that's a, you know, it's another outlet for a sounding board I think which is important. And I think it's like, you know, having conversations like that with people I think is is huge. But I think I, I have, I've only been at the point where you're talking about a couple of times where I'm mm. like, oh, like, you know, work's taking up too much of my time or mm. why am I doing it? I've forgotten why I'm doing it. And I think it's those moments potentially you need to step, step back the most, in my, I feel, mm. and sort of just hit that reset and and enjoy some other things or potentially just it gives you sort of a, breathe it i think you know i guess remind yourself why you do it whether it's mm. create that fucking awesome motorbike graphic that is going to be on the front of vogue magazine next week or something yeah, exactly. i don't know like yeah. maybe that maybe that's something that reinvigorates the journey for you i feel bit. like it's backwards for me though mm. like i feel like if i'm completely honest with myself i feel like i often see the weekend as the time between friday and monday <laughs> that i'm not working yeah. Right? Like I feel like that that is the inconvenience in my head. It's the other way around because I am so insanely obsessed with what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I've never, ever, ever had an issue where I'm like, you know, I don't want to do this. It just doesn't occur. Yeah. That, I just I acknowledge the fact that it's healthier to have some balance between other things and I want to put more. I, I've been actively putting effort into sort of valuing that more and realising how valuable it is and trying to put effort to it because I guess mine's, mine's a bit backwards. Um, which again, I understand has led to some of the success I've seen, which is awesome. And I don't want, I don't regret any of it. I just am at a point into my life now where I want to put some more effort into trying to mm. balance that out a bit more. I remember back when I was starting out and there were less of us, so there's less responsibility to have it work. And uh, to be honest, I envy those days when, when you could just do what you want basically. But, um, I used to love Saturdays cause I'd come in on Saturday. There'd be no one else here. There was no traffic on the road. You just dawdle in. Maybe it's after brekkie, after a long brekkie and a sleeping or something, and you just get what you need done. And it was just that day that reminded me why I do what I like, why I love doing what I do, because there's no pressure, there's no emails to send. You can just potter around, do the things you want to do, avoid a few things if you need it. But I thought, you know, once you come into a, a well-ordered organization, things are happening, you're under deadlines, you've got timelines for shipping and packing and stuff, like it just adds that extra complexity where you know potentially you, you maybe you can't step back and enjoy it again don't know mm. Mm. Sure, yeah. Mm. but yeah it's you you're your position certainly opposite to mine which is very interesting <laughs> yeah it's good i think it lends perspective right it's important to do that i think it's important to talk about the real stuff that's not so much fun you know it's pretty easy from the outside looking in to be like oh you know you've got a cool business you do something cool and it is don't get me wrong i wouldn't change it for the world but there are always challenges and situations that people aren't always paying attention to so do you get manufacturers sort of handing you bikes these days to be like load her up let's do some cool shit like yeah. is is that something that happens these days because you're such a big brand yeah but i don't like I don't always like leaning on that. Like, yes, like it, it's, again, it's so fortunate. I completely understand that. You know, I get to, the, the things that I left that I still do pay for because for whatever reason, I, it's all business expense anyway, right? So it's just, you know, I, you know, this is my absolute passion. It's riding bikes and being involved in the industry is all I've ever wanted to do. Designing stuff is a massive passion of mine. So it's like, it's all just perfect. Like I couldn't, I could not imagine it being any other way and wouldn't want it any other way. 
Um, it's absolutely unreal. And yet, the, you know, there's companies out there. When I went to the US recently, I had a trip to the States and I had Fox invite me to the HQ and Troy Lee Designs invite me to the HQ and their head designers that have been there for 20 years were stoked to meet me and talk about business and talk about design and they wanted to talk about that design idea. They thought it was so crazy and rah, rah, rah. And for me, I was just like, what was like, like blown away. You were, so you're invited by your main competitor to their office. No, to no, because we don't compete. That's yeah, that, that could turn into another story. But essentially, we don't <laughs> compete with them specifically, right? Like we yeah. do, we do the designs of the bikes. Fox makes Fox makes gear, and Trolley oh, okay. Designs makes helmets, etc. Yeah. So they're in the same industry, yeah. but not directly competitors. Yeah, um, and they just appreciate the design side of it. And their main designers all knew exactly who I was and what I was doing and what my company was, and they knew way more about me than I did them. And it just blew my mind. Yeah, because like these guys are freaking icons, you know. Like I, I wanted a signature from them and take photos, and they're all just you know talking to me. It was unbelievable. I think that one of the cool things about being based in Australia and having the US as the mecca for our sport is that I still see the US as having this shininess factor to it. Mm. You know, like if you were over there and in the industry for a long time, I've spoken to a lot of people that don't look at it the way that I do. You know, they see it as, you know, oh, yeah, but this part of it's shit and these people don't like each other and I don't like how this is. and But from the outside looking in, like for me, it's just freaking Disneyland. Right? Green, green pastures, yeah. Exactly, which is nice. Like it's a nice way to see the world, you know. Like I don't, I don't have any issues with it being that way. Um, and I think that because I only go there periodically, it stays that way for me, which means it's a really nice experience to go over there and sort of absorb it. I don't see the bullshit that everyone else does. And I think that's healthy. I actually don't mind it. I don't want it to change. So I know you're a big, big advocate for South Australia. Do you think you're going to stay in South Australia? Like what are... 100%. No questions. Yeah. Yep. Even if you said to me, Sam, moving to the US would 10x your business, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't like... I'd love it. Adelaide's unreal. Absolutely love living here. It's awesome. Um, I think something like... I looked at the stats yesterday. Currently zero... Sorry, point zero three percent of our sales come from south australia so like literally no one is here of our customers but that's fine it doesn't matter i i'd love it here and i also like that like we don't have to have some fancy showroom and you know pretty customer facing staff all the time um because there's no one here it's just it's a nice place to be i don't like it and i mean i don't mind it sorry and i don't like i love adelaide it's just such a nice place i've traveled around a little bit and adelaide's unreal yeah i love it too so in i guess um Moving forward, there is a chance, you know, potentially some financial crisis in America. How are you as a business sort of looking to craft your way around that one? Is, do you think your industry will be impacted or? Yeah, maybe, but that's fine. You know, we'll take it as it comes. We, we are of a, a very strong financial position as a company. Like we're in a good spot. We can weather a lot more than a lot of companies and a lot of industries, which is obviously horrible for a lot of people, but I think we'll be okay. Um, and we have, like, we've got a very quickly pivotable business like we you know we'd not massively tied up into things that would cause us a long time to get out of you know we could pretty quickly downscale we could pretty quickly adjust we could diversify if we have to you know we can get around a lot i think um so and and even you know the the financial side of the business it does really really well but there's like it's no need for any of it it's all very the very safe business model it's very you know we get paid before the we even lift a finger like it's Mm. it's a safe safe business model so I think we'll be okay. We'll just be a little bit intelligent about some of the things we do and make sure we, you know, assess things properly the whole way through before we do them. And it might create an opportunity, right? Like if we're a strong company and we continue to push through in a time where everyone else is cutting back, then when it all does become fruitful again and everything turns back to normal, we'll be in an even better position. Yeah, it's proven that companies that advertise during a recession tend to end up on top. Mm. But um, the other thing is it could be an opportunity. I don't know, like you think about people who own a bike, potentially it might be cheaper and a better alternative 
to change the way the bike looks than to buy a new bike. I don't know. Yeah. So may, maybe there's a benefit. Maybe that's people we've buy, talked about as well. Maybe people will change it up a little bit more regularly, right? Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, you know, a lot of these crises, the people with money somehow end up with more money <laughs> and people without don't. And a lot of the time our demographic is on the higher end of the scale. You know, racing yeah. bikes is quite an expensive thing to do. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? There's no way we can see what actually is going to happen, but I'm happy to just play the game and come with whatever, deal yeah. with whatever comes. The reasons that I wanted you on is because essentially what you've done is you've take you've taken a creative field and you've made it scalable, right? Which yeah. is huge. And yeah, sure. I think there are a lot of opportunities for that in different industries, but I don't think there's a lot of opportunity for some of the sort of stuff that we do in creative services, whether it's advertising, you know, social media adverts, for instance, right? Like I think to some extent you can scale that and you could do a, you know, stick your logo here, the Canva of the world type situation. But you know, once everything looks the same, it stops being effective. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a reason the creative stuff is, has its appeal and it's to be unique, right? So yeah. if everyone in the world had the same graphic sticker or design on their motorbike, then it wouldn't be unique anymore, right? Yep, so sure. at that yep. point, it loses the reason it exists. So there is, there is a level there that you've got to, um, <laughs> I guess, work through. But I think what you've done in that space, as I said, taking a creative service, a creative industry and turning it into a scalable product is huge and mm. i think and that's something that i think that's something that is continues to keep our product fresh and the business fresh etc like our so my underlying direction and motivation drive here is to strive constantly to make the most beautiful motorcycles possible right and the really amazing thing about that is that the definition of beauty constantly changes, right? Which means that it's infinite. It's a goal that's infinite. Like, yes, we're only ever going to do the same shit, theoretically. We have for a long time. We will for a time more, I'm sure. But that goal stays infinite. Like, the, the goalposts move constantly. Did I just die? No. No, we're good. No, back. No. Um, which I think is really exciting. Like, it's and it means that it's, it's although, you know, our product range doesn't change we're constantly trying to come up with new and better ways to do it and constantly creating the next trend which leads to the next thing and that's really cool too like creating trends like we put a lot of effort into taking inspiration from outside the industry not from our industry because if it's in the industry it's been done already it's bullshit you're never gonna get ahead doing that mm. look elsewhere find ways to apply inspiration you found elsewhere to our industry so and then if you do that a lot of the time you'll miss that's fine but every now and then you hit and when you hit, you've just created a new trend, which then means that your competitors can't physically keep up with you because you're the one setting the trends and all they can do is follow, which makes you look even better anyway. And if you keep doing that and you'll kill your own product line, you'll kill your own creativity and continue to move it forward, which means that we've got this like ability to just constantly even crush ourselves. Like, you, you know, a kit on a bike for someone who rides semi-regularly will usually, they usually buy once a year. So every year they're gonna refresh, right? And theoretically every year, the design they had on their bike that was really, really cool is no longer cool. So although, you know, we might sell the design a thousand times in a year that won't exist anymore. It'll be different design that's being sold a thousand times. So we can constantly diversify and make our product fresh and new and different again, and without looking too dry and without keeping it too consistent. So where are you finding inspiration for these creative trends? And, you know, obviously you said outside of your industry, but, mm -hmm. you know, what are you looking for? Yeah, it's so hard as a designer, isn't it? I think that like my personal design style, which therefore flows into the businesses, is really, really bold, and really, really clean. 
right? So like oversized logos and, and really strong areas of negative space, et cetera. Um, the good thing about that is although that design style is quite common now in today's design world, it's not in my industry, which is awesome because everyone else is really about chucking in as much detail as possible. And there's also like a, a style within the industry, which is referred to as factory, which means like very racy, very, you know, sharp, angry lines, etc. And everyone does the same thing. It's just, it's obnoxious. It's so, it's so frustrating. But it means if you do something offline from that, it's so out there. Like it just breaks people. They can't comprehend what the hell you've done. Mm. And I think even now, like although we started to do that intentionally five years ago, try and do the really weird, different, bold stuff. And since a lot of our competitors now try and do the same thing because they can see the success we're having and they want to jump on, but they just can't get it. They can't, they can't get it right. They can't get that negative space incorrect and get the right a level of abstract and bold without going over the top, mm. which means that we've still got this knack of just nailing this design style that the world thinks is unreal. Um, and we continue to do that. And it means that it's quite a, if you have that in mind and sort of pay attention to, you know, obviously inspiration from outside of what you're doing, but apply that really bold and clean styling to it. It just, you can just get hit after hit. It's unreal. So what do you guys do to sort of uh, ramp up that inspiration type stuff? Do you look for mood boards or do you collect things and go through it as a team? Like, Yeah, we've got some mood boards. As I said, there's a there's only a few, like there's some specific people within the design team that we focus on product development. And that's what they focus on literally. Like that's their job, right? Like they need to think about. So those people, we collaborate quite a bit. We've got, you know, Slack channels and we've got mood boards and we've got Corel files and things like that we chuck a little inspiration into and we often draw from without that, within that. And we just, you know, we're all looking at the same stuff too within the industry so we know what's been done. So then we all pull inspiration from outside of that and bring it forward to the table. And we've also had so much experience now. We know what hits. That we can we can generally get a good concept of what hits. Mm. Have you, um, do you do many, much sort of 3D designs and stuff in, in your industry? Have you, have you noticed a trend towards that? We've noticed a trend as a whole, you know, in terms of social media and graphics and even outdoor media and stuff, moving towards this 3D look and feel. Yeah, nice. Um, nah, so it, I even mentioned to you before, like what we do, the designs we do, we design for motorcycles obviously, right? Like that is as it has its own design style and its own necessities from a design perspective that have to be met in order for it to look good, quote unquote. Um, and it's quite difficult. Like we've, we've worked with some ridiculously well-weathered and highly trained and advanced level designers, graphic designers, and they can't design a bike to save their lives because it's quite a unique canvas. It requires, you know, has curves, but the product you're selling, like, sorry, the design you're doing is flat, but will be curved once it's on the bike. There's so much involved, right? We actually use, we use, we design on CorelDRAW, which is, you know, it's an awesome program, but it's also quite basic. Like it's not like AI, you know, AI, you can get way more detailed. Corel doesn't like that. You'd put something detailed in it, it just breaks. But for what we do, the design style that we do is actually very, very, very flat, very 2D, very minimalistic, very clean, no shadows ever, no, you know, hardly ever gradients, mm -hmm. no, you know, highlighting nothing completely flat. Because again, once you put it on a bike, which is a 3D thing, with a finish, which like a satin or a gloss finish, that gives us that element. Mm -hmm. And if you try and put 3D elements or, you know, shadows within the design, it's lost by the time it's applied to the bike. Mm. 
which means it's quite difficult to design because you've got to somehow design on a flat in 2D, but knowing that the result will not be that. Have you guys thought about using texture maps and stuff like UV maps and 3D models of things? Like you should be able to automate uh, projections. Like yeah. It should be like as simple as that. Yeah, you're right. We've got, we do 3D renders a lot. Yeah. So we render the designs onto the bikes, yeah. but it's not an instant process. So the UV channel stuff should be an instant process, especially with some of the newer software. It could be literally, I update the Corel file or the JPEG and you get instant feedback of what it looks like yeah, with, awesome. with, with all the UV channels. I hadn't heard about this, so I'll have to look into it. Yeah, it's pretty much, I mean, you look at Unreal Engines and stuff, which is your essentially your live rendering of 3d graphics and stuff using games and whatnot so you could be rendering like that without mm. any without any lag yeah awesome. just immediately because mm. yeah. i mean now i think that's one of the issues right like because of that lag whether it be putting it on a 3d bike or rendering it onto something like you have to be so well experienced and skilled to understand like again i've been doing it for so long now that i know so i can design it and i know that it'll look right once it's on the bike but for a new designer it's impossible there's no way they can comprehend what it's going to look like even in procreate on the ipad you can paint in 3d now yeah nice. like so you could bring a 3d model in and paint your drawing on <laughs> unreal yeah i'd have a look at that it'd be, really cool. it'd be super cool i think that's the next level for your industry though like is someone should be able to do their own design see what it looks like on their bike without even leaving the website like mm. And it all happens like that. There's a bit of that, which is a cool point. So a bunch of our competitors, right, have got like a um, 3D editor on their website where you can go into the site, you can pick your bike, obviously, you pick the design, and then you can live edit it on the website and then press buy of that live edit and they'll send you exactly what you designed. It's, It's decently available nowadays, right? We intentionally don't at this stage for a couple of reasons. One, we we are very, very protective of our brand. And we know that if we do that, that'll give the customer the stability to create something that we might not see as as beautiful as the sort of work we want to be producing. So we want to send stuff out there that doesn't look quite as nice as we'd like it to look and mm. be representing it. Um, and to the same point, we also feel that we are, you know, our design team, because of the business model we have, we have the ability to invest a lot of time into each of these designs, knowing they're going to sell hundreds of times each, right? So you know one product on our website one particular style for one particular model we might literally invest into that 24 hours huge amounts of time right at you know hourly rates ends up being quite a serious investment we and we take pride in the fact that we know what we're doing we can create some cool stuff we actually want to maintain 100 control of that and have our customers respect and understand that we have done the work we know it looks good we don't need you to edit it you know yeah we can put your name and number on it but we're not giving you control of that um, you're paying us for our perspective and our design skill. We're not handing that over. So the client's never right in your industry. Sorry? The client is never right in your industry. <laughs> it's it's more not than yes because they're not designers, right? And everyone will give it a crack and understand that. But if they want to do it their way 100%, they can go to one of these companies that does it that way. But if they want our level of professionalism, our level of premium design, then you come to us and you leave it to us. For us, it's the old, uh, when we make a TV commercial, this is the good old one where everyone wants a phone number on the TV commercial. It's like, really? Like, <laughs> no one's going to be able to pull out their phone and type it in seeing a TV commercial. But is there anything similar in your space where everyone always asks for this weird thing that is just like, you don't want that? Yeah. Um, to put it as professionally as possible. The <laughs> One issue we have is although we see ourselves as professionals, right? Like I often explain that um, to look like 
um, a metaphor for our company, like an explanation of our company is in, in comparison to our competitors, we are the people in the room wearing suits when everyone else is wearing bodies and flip-flops. Like that's how I see ourselves, right? That's how I see our branding and who we are and what we represent, right? Said the guy in a Nike t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also wearing a Nike t-shirt and not a Betts one or whatever, you know? Um, but a uh, point being, uh, I think that, no, I've lost what we were talking about. Uh, how you're the corporate, I guess, vision of your industry and we're talking about what clients ask for that oh, is, yeah. is terrible. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so um, uh, a lot of the time in our industry, our demographic happens to be tradies a lot of the time and younger guys that like to do things that are not necessarily always premium professional, mm -hmm. although we hold ourselves to being premium professional. So although I'm sure that we cater for the percentage of the industry that have the same qualities we do, we also obviously somewhat cater for the rest because of the fact that they're a vast majority, right? And we sell to these people all the time. Um, therefore, they sometimes ask for customer requests that aren't necessarily things that I see as in line with our branding. Now, of course, we allow that. That's the service that we offer and we have no issues doing it. However, a lot of the time there are things that we do do with our kids, whether it be styling or specific numbers or specific logos or whatever, that I wouldn't hold as things that are true to the core of our company. And again, that speaks even further to my point earlier. Like we still have control, yet sometimes things still go out the way that I wouldn't perfectly like them. Mm -hmm. I'm not handing over that control because <laughs> what they could then do with what, you know, the abilities they have and the brand that we have offered would be not beneficial for the male branding. And I think that a lot of things that I do, like I will often make a decision that on paper looks to be negative or not ideal from a business perspective, not ideal from a financial perspective. But for me, it's the right decision for the sake of the brand or the quality of the brand or the quality of the product, et cetera. Right? Um, and I can because I'm 100% shareholder, so I don't actually always have to make the most smart financial decision. But for me, the branding and the quality of what we're doing is more important to me than any sort of financial reimbursement. So can I ask what the craziest client request has ever been? Surely it's just like something stupid, like yeah. swear words or something. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, there's nothing that sticks out to me when you ask that question. We get a lot of people wanting the number 69 on their bike and we get a lot of people that want, you know, provocative terms and logos of brands that we wouldn't align ourselves with, et cetera, um, which is the sort of stuff that, it, you know, isn't, isn't on for me. But at the same time, that's fine. We offer that service. It's all part of the fun. Um, I just feel like that's offline for our brand. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you have any hobbies outside of the creative field? No. No hobbies? Nothing. I ride dirt bikes. <laughs> I look after my daughter. That's it. That's my entire life in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, I do CrossFit. Oh, yeah. You still do CrossFit? Yep. And yeah. I really, really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy looking after myself. I think investing in your health is important. I enjoy doing that. And I like to go fast. <laughs> That's <laughs> not been made obvious already. <laughs> um, do you have any defining moments in your life or your career? Yep. Uh, one that I think was interesting was they got to a point where a few years ago where I no longer had anybody close to me who I felt could give me advice that that experienced in regards to business. So my business got to a point where it surpassed the level of experience anyone close to me had had. Uh, and I mean that very literally, not necessarily that I felt better than anyone. That's not what I'm suggesting. I just mean that I was dealing with things that I no longer had anyone close to me who had dealt with. And that was quite an isolating moment I found that really lonely really confronting really difficult because um, I'd always sort of unconsciously lent on the opinion and perspective of certain people around me 
Um, and all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't do that anymore, mm. which was really, it was really daunting. I found it really hard. It was a couple of months there where I sort of reassessed whether or not the business was the right thing to do, whether it was something I wanted to keep doing, whether I was the right person to be running it. I found it really difficult. Um, and I sought a lot of advice from different people to try and work our way around that. None of that advice I felt was correct or on on path. I found it quite difficult. I ended up getting to a point where I realized that although I had been seeking advice from people, from specific people, every time I did, I actually always went to them with an answer. I always went to them and said, look, this is the problem. This is the research I've done. And this is what I feel the right answer is. What do you think? And all they would really do is green light me. So once I'd sort of come to that realization, I realized actually, you know what? I can just back myself. I know that I get things right. I know I make the right decisions. I've never actually taken to someone and they told me that I was incorrect. Therefore, I don't need anyone to say, yes, go. So I just sort of within myself removed the need for a green light and continued forward. And ever since it's been absolutely no problem. But it was a nice sort of level. Like it was a nice thing to sort of come to the point where, you know what, you know, you can just back yourself in. You've got this. It's a nice sort of moment to have reached, I think. Well, you mentioned before about the financial security. I think you you got to reach a point in business where you've got the financial security where you can take some educated risks. And it's all comes down to you calculating the, I guess, the the risk likelihood and, and obviously the financial loss if shit hits the fan, right? Mm. And if it's worthwhile, give it a go. Why not, right? You're the only person losing out of it, 100% shareholder over here. Like, mm. give it a go. If yep. it works, it works. Fantastic. You might have fun doing it. You might not. But then try something else after. <laughs> why not right yeah i think i think the thing the fact you've got to where you are today by yourself i think is huge but i think you know obviously talking to people whether it's in your industry whether it's outside of the industry is always going to be useful um you know just back and forth and stuff have you found another network since you've reached this point like have you looked outside of your current network and looked at different sort of groups no nah, i feel like i'm in a stage of life now where like you said i'm happy to back myself in in regards to business stuff and I'm starting to realize the value of things in life outside of business. Therefore, I seek advice or, you know, talk to people about specific things that I know that they have expertise in. And I just, you know, as far as business goes, I just back myself now. I know that I've got that. I'm confident that I can have a good time at the very least and deal with the mistakes that come as a result. Um, and I just, you know, have specific friends that I talk to about other things, etc. I feel like from my point of view, obviously having that financial, you know, safety net is always a, a good one. But I think... For me, bringing in the people and the talent, you know, the team and, and letting them do their own thing on projects is sort of my, I guess, product development, but also business development. So like, guys, keen to see what you guys come up with here rather than me. I don't want anything to do with this. Like you guys can go off and come up with something from A to B on, and if it works, fantastic. And I'll have a look with fresh eyes once it happens. And if it's good, it's good. Like, I think, I think sources of inspiration are probably important for me rather than potentially direction if that makes sense yeah you know you look you look at different industries you look at different people and including your staff including your staff in terms of inspiration and then you take what they've got you amalgamate it you you throw it in a blender and then you give something a go that might be completely different or as you say before like you're looking at trends outside of your industry and you're bringing them in you're giving them a go like i mean that's a risk right and that's a financial and business decision you've made to and you're giving it a go so yeah, 100%. Something that I need to work on is my level of control. Like I, I'm quite a controlling person and I'm quite obsessive about what I do, which means I don't always give outside perspectives a fair enough go, which is something I am aware of and something I need to continue working on because I do think that there's so much value in, you know, getting these perspectives from outside of just my own head. Mm. Do, you, do you listen to some of your team? Like have you got like a, 
a platform within your team for people to, um, I guess, you know, come up with ideas, whether it's a response to the CEO email of the month, you know, yep. what's, what's the go there? Like, do you give a, do you provide some sort of platform? Yeah. We're currently working actually with a new, um, uh, like a, a, a business strategy coach, but relating to the people side of it specifically. Um, I think we actually have quite a good culture. I think most of our staff will tell you the same thing. However, there's always room for improvement in that area, obviously. Um, and I think there's a lot of stuff that they're going to bring to the table that will be beneficial for that. You know, we've already talked a lot about, you know, having more of these team meetings and more of these, you know, brainstorming sessions, et cetera, more than we're doing currently. Again, I don't think it's something we're bad at, but I know that's something there's always opportunity to improve on. Now, this is a, more of a personal question for me, but now you've run a business for over 13 years. I know you're built this way to some extent, but how have you kept your horse blinkers on? Like, I think coming from a creative background, like, you know, you, you do deviate sometimes and you want to give something else a go and you get bored of things and you want to try something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, for us, like this creative to creative, for instance, is an outlet to, to sort of, you know, I guess divulge into some more of creative spaces and stuff. Like how have you managed to just stay so focused? I, it's not something I've had to put effort into. And I don't necessarily see that as only a beneficial thing. Obviously that has its negatives as well. But, you know, I'm... I'm just an absolute massive fanatic of our sport and everything to do with it. You know, when I'm not, if I'm not, obviously there's family time, but if not, I'm watching racing or I'm riding my own bike or I'm looking at creative inspiration. Like that's my entire world completely. I've had little tiny, as I said earlier, we've done tiny little projects that are slightly offline, but I've felt that they are, the ROI isn't there. I don't get as the same results. I don't get as excited. I don't get as enthused. I don't get as financially reimbursed. It just, it keeps being proven. Whenever I slightly deviate, it very quickly is proven to me that that is not what I want to be doing and not what is actually beneficial so that I pull myself back. But it doesn't happen very frequently. Like I'm just so ridiculously in line unconsciously that it, I, I think I'll actually when I do decide to do something different, I'll find that very difficult. I'll find it hard to move as opposed to finding it hard to stay on course. Mm. So your <clears throat> your growth personally has been from a creative start to, you know, now you're just run a business basically. You run a big business and you've got, obviously you've got some art direction sort of behind that as well. But how have you found that growth? Have you found it, I guess, have you found it a good growth pattern or do you wish you were sort of on the tools a little bit more these days? Or Yeah, I still actually am on the tools a little bit from the design perspective. Like our product is, development team is me and two other guys and I still spend a good chunk of my time like probably <clears throat> probably 20% of my time I spend on the tools designing which is a fair chunk considering I'm running the company um, and that is still where I find the most satisfaction and the most enjoyment that's what I like doing absolutely love it. I don't want to do anything else and I want to make sure that as the company continues to grow I do continue to hire executive level people to help with things that are business related and not necessarily design um, because that is where I get the most kicks. I obviously also love business and I think I'm quite good at it. I had a good time doing it, but I want to make sure that I always continue to put time and effort into the product design side. Would you ever consider hiring someone to run your company and you become yep. a full-time designer? 100%. Would... Yep. I've wow. thought about it multiple times. <laughs> yeah. And I've put a bit of effort into it, in fact, a few times. So yeah. it's definitely something that I'm open to, 100%. Wow. I think that in my next life, like or not even, when I decide that this is I'm done with this and I you know, sell it off or whatever I end up doing with it at some stage. That won't happen. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, I can already <laughs> tell it's not going to happen. If, in, in an alternate universe, let's say then, like if I wasn't running this company, I would be working for my company designing 
or working for a company similar designing or you know, I'd love to work and do shoe design for Nike. You know, I'd love to do something like that. I really enjoy that side of it. And I enjoy that and I enjoy the problem solving more than I enjoy the people management and the, you know, mm. figures and the financials and all that sort of bullshit. What would be the ultimate crossover for you? So like you just mentioned before, like, you know, a collab between Nike and Nike and your own brand. Like what would be the ultimate? I feel like... I feel like I'd like to do something like I, I've talked about architecture as well. Like I really like design. I really do enjoy that. And I think that I, although I do somewhat, like I identify my brand as me. I don't identify me as the brand necessarily. I think that my design skills and perspectives can be applied to other things. So I would like, like I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to do a collab where I designed a shoe for Nike. And I don't want to design it from the ground up. I just mean the visual, the patterns, the colors, the shapes, et cetera. I'd love to do that. That'd be unreal. But I wouldn't want that to be branded as my company, SKDA. I'd like that just to be something that I either was unbranded or branded by me, human, me personally, sorry, rather than the company. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Cool. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll see one of your designs with someone riding, like riding with some fancy new Nikes and stuff and you design them as well and that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, dirt, dirt road, the shoe's getting all dirty. <laughs> no, bro, look after your shoes, man. <clears throat> we need an advert for shoes, but it would be about like how the dust just falls off them, right? <laughs> all about it. Cool. All right, man. Well, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. Unless there's anything else you want to. No, I'm good, man. Yeah. Your time. It was really good. Mate, you're a seasoned professional.